Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for January 24th, 2016. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon this morning is entitled, I Am Here to Be Alive. Through our good friend and church member, Matt Kinney, we have suddenly fallen into a fun little pot of gold. Through a friend of Matt's, who's in the business of promoting movies, Russ has become a contact for this guy to preview certain movies that have spiritual overtones in a pre-release fashion in exchange for feedback. It's awesome. It's free. We see the movies before you peons do. <laughs> Sometimes we, oh, and we get to invite others to join us. Hope, hope you make our list sometime. <laughs> sometimes it's been like a private showing, showing, and sometimes the theater has been packed. Selma was our first encounter, getting a chance to see it before its wide release free movie in exchange for a comment or a reaction or a critique when it's over. It's not a bad deal. In the last few weeks, we've seen two more. The Revenant. That was the longest two and a half hours of my entire life. I don't do suspense. I don't do gore. I don't do intense I had heard enough about it to know that this was not my kind of movie, but Russ really wanted me to go, and the boys, and their girlfriends, and a whole host of other people that joined us that night, a a movie theater full, actually. I knew it would be rough. It was only about 1,000 times worse than I thought it would be. By the end, I was freezing cold from watching the main character just about freeze to death and then jump in ice-cold rushing water. I was exhausted from watching the main character pull himself literally back together and out of a grave from a vicious bear attack to make his way across the cold western frontier. And I was completely spent from keeping my feet in the chair and my hands literally over my face for probably 95% of the movie. It was a great movie, (laughs) except for the gore, the suspense, and the intensity. It was a great movie, and the spiritual overtones were certainly there. Forgiveness, revenge, repentance. Except for that gore, suspense, and intensity... It was a free night at the movies, and we gave our review at the end to the people taking notes, and we went on our merry way, still haunted by some of the images we saw that night. And then we went back to the movies this past week. It will be released to the rest of you at Easter. But a bunch of ministers from Park Road gathered at the Park Terrace Theater to preview The Young Messiah based on Anne Rice's book, Christ the Lord, Out of Egypt. This movie is about those unknown boyhood years of Jesus, 
With a historically accurate setting, Rice takes a good bit of creative license and pulls together a nice story that gives way to some possibilities of what the life of Jesus may have been like during those years about which we know nothing. It's interesting to ponder how much did Jesus know about himself and when did he know it and how was he let in on the pretty big secret all that we have about his life was written anywhere from 25 to 75 years after his death. So all that we know about the infant Jesus and the man Jesus with a 12-year-old boy Jesus thrown in for good measure is what we are told about him long after his death. So what did Jesus know and when did he know it? Those are interesting questions to ponder. And of course, there's my own fascination with the Mary char character of the story. I'm glad that much of the time in the movie, her eyes brimmed with tears. Because I'm guessing that's pretty accurate to the way she spent most of her life as the mother of Jesus. A bunch of us should go see that movie together come Easter and have a discussion about it afterwards. But for today, I just want to say a bit about the very last scene of the movie. Don't worry, this is not a spoiler alert. He lives past the age of seven, okay? No spoiler alert. I wish I could remember exactly how the script went. If I had it on tape, I would have rewound it and copied it down. But this seven-year-old Jesus, that's how old he is in the movie, seven years old, is running along like a typical seven-year-old boy. He even falls down a couple of times. You know, Jesus falls down like a real little boy. But in this scene, he doesn't fall. At the very end, he's running along like a typical seven-year-old boy, catching up to the pilgrimage trail of his people. The sun is shining. He is laughing and leaping and looking forward and upward with hands lifted toward the brightness of the sun. And I can't remember if in his thoughts he rattles off a list of what he's here to do. Or was he thinking of what he didn't have to do yet? I can't quite remember I can't wait for Easter to see it again and capture this whole scene I just can't remember the exact lines except for one that one line caught me it was the best line of an otherwise kind of okay movie as we eavesdrop on the thoughts of this Messiah child he boldly and emphatically says as if he absolutely believes this is the most important truth there is I know that I'm here to be alive. It hit me like a thunderbolt. I had just been studying for this sermon literally right before we went across the street to the movie. And in that one moment, I know that I am here to be alive. Rice isn't the only one who takes creative license to the reading and interpretation of Scripture. We all do it. So I'd like to do it a bit today with you. 
In this fourth chapter of Luke's gospel, we are still early on in Jesus' public ministry. Really, this is the beginning. His, this text for today is kind of like his inauguration speech. But Luke starts his telling with Mary and her cousin Elizabeth and John the Baptist. And then he moves quickly through the birth narrative that we all still love to tell. Shortly thereafter, Jesus is baptized and immediately goes through temptations. And then apparently, he's all set. It's kind of like the, initia the initiation is over. Birth, baptized, tempted. Now he can begin his public ministry. And he heads back to his hometown of Nazareth. News and rumors were already swirling about him when he arrives, and on the Sabbath, he heads straight to the temple. It was obvious he would be one of the readers that day because, you know, he was Jesus. He was handed a scroll, and the words on the page were already well known to them as words from the prophet Isaiah. They probably knew it by heart. He unrolled the scroll and simply started reading. And though we've already heard these words once and, and part of them twice, even in the children's time, you really can't hear these words too much. Like any good inauguration speech, there are a few lines that bear repeating over and over again. Like any good presidential speech, you know, kind of like my fellow Americans ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country it's kind of like that, except like a thousand times better. So hear it again, as if Jesus were reading it this time. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's where I think that Anne Rice got the idea for the line, or whether it was the script writers that changed it. I haven't read the book, but maybe the text should read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because I am here to be alive. You've heard us say so many times how important that week of the youth mission trip is every summer. But it's not just young people. Something happens when you take these kinds of trips. It happens every time we go to Cuba, whether at a remote lake for a baptism or sitting in the home of someone sharing a meal when there aren't even enough forks for all of us to eat at the same time, or whether we're making a pastoral care visit to the elderly who live on the outskirts of town and can no longer walk to church because nobody in the church has a car to go pick them up. Something happens when I go there that makes me feel alive. Several in our family are on a plane right this very minute headed to Haiti for a week-long mission trip with their church. Their excitement is contagious. For our nephew, who's about 24 years old, this will be his third trip. He's developed relationships in those first two trips so closely knit that about six months ago, he posted a picture on his Facebook page of a brand new Haitian baby boy named Clark. Our nephew Clark 
has a namesake in Haiti. I hope Clark gets to see and hold Clark this week. Clark made enough of an impact on a family in a short visit that they named their child after him. Lord, help that poor little Haitian boy. Clark, Clark, Clark. I love that boy, and he's going to be all right if he ever gets there. He loves to be alive. Oh, boy, does he love to be alive. So I hope this little boy loves to be alive. Maybe not quite as much as Clark likes to be alive, but I hope he loves to be alive like Clark. But when you have the kind of impact on a family that you name your child after some strange American, <laughs> that's what it means to be alive. Clark is alive. To bring good news to the poor, to let the oppressed go free, to recover sight, to release captives. That's what Clark did in Haiti. Those mission trip moments are some of the moments that I have felt most alive in my whole life. But you don't have to go all the way to Cuba or Haiti to feel alive, to be alive. We saw it in the faces and heard it in the voices on the video we showed a couple of weeks ago of our young people when they were doing their mission trip to New Orleans last summer. And they were rebuilding homes after all these years since Katrina. I see it in the life of Rosemary Burton and all of her new recruits that make pillowcase dresses for little girls in Haiti. You don't have to hop on a plane and go there to be alive. You can buy pillowcase dresses and give them to Rosemarie and give, be alive that way. Or maybe you could learn to sew and help put the dresses together and be alive that way. But at the very least, you could be here on one of the various Sundays when we cover the communion table and the, the rail and the pulpit with all of those beautiful little dresses that may just save some little girl's life in Haiti, if that doesn't make you feel alive, I don't know what will. I can't help but wonder if those that cooked dinner last night for our homeless neighbors, for whom our church became their home for a night, felt more alive than I did staying bundled up in my home. And what about Jimmy Neal? who spent the night serving as host to the homeless in our youth building. He may be a bit more tired than the rest of us this morning, but if he allows himself to reflect upon it, I hope and pray he feels more alive today than you did yesterday. And as much as he may need that precious Sunday afternoon nap, I am here to bear witness that Jimmy Neal was made to be alive. I just love the boy Jesus line in the movie. I am here to be alive. Yes, absolutely. We all long 
to know the answer to those kinds of big picture questions. What is my purpose? What am I here to do? What are my gifts? What are my strengths? What's my calling? What kind of difference can I make? We all take those inventories to discover what our vocation should be. We take personality indicator tests, whether something technical like the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or the magazine version straight out of Cosmopolitan to try and discover who we are and what makes us tick and why we respond the way we do sometimes. Those are so accurate. I think we can stop relying on those tests to give us the answers. Like Jesus. I think we can energetically and emphatically proclaim, I am here to be alive. To live fully. And I'm convinced that that means that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Because God has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. God has sent us to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We, dear friends, are here to be alive. It's so tempting to give way to confusion and apathy, and depression, and despair, and fear, and anger, and chaos, and loneliness. Those are real. It's so tempting to give way to the question, what's wrong with me? And to the statement, I'm not worthy, I'm nothing, I'm a nobody. It happens to all of us, so don't beat yourself up. But perhaps we need to learn the lesson from the boy, Messiah, Jesus. And learn to run like a seven-year-old. Arms outstretched, face to the sun. I know I am here to be alive. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you. This has been a production of Park Road Baptist Church.